Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And so Jesus can see the heart. Jesus knows the motivation. We'll see that in a moment in another context. Jesus knows what's going on inside of men. We really don't, and we really can't. That's why we're not to judge one another. We can judge actions. We can, we can say, hey, that activity, no Christian should be engaging in it. Today we are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, and Pastor Sam's message entitled Forgiven, we will study this chapter in its entirety. Mark 2 contains the story of the paralytic who was lowered through a hole in the roof, introduces us to Matthew the tax collector, and covers Jesus' teaching on fasting and the Sabbath. So let's listen in. We read, and again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Before we press ahead into the story, I do want to say, among the many things I've learned in my 40 years now of walking with the Lord, is to expect the unexpected. And here's why this is so important. We have a tendency, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us, to predetermine what God might do or what God might say or what he won't should do even. I hear people praying like they're informing God about things he's unaware of and telling him what would be good for him to do in the situation. Listen, what I've learned is just bring every need, every concern, every issue, every desire, every decision to Jesus, trusting him to reveal his will and do what's best for all involved. We saw last time a leper come to Jesus and he came saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's absolute faith in Jesus' ability to do the impossible. But what we don't know is what he wants to do. And that's what that leper was acknowledging. If it's your will, you could read. If you're willing, if it's your will, you can make me clean. Well, how could it not be his will? We don't always know what the Lord wants to do. In fact, more often than not, I don't know what he's going to do, but it's not a lack of faith to say your will be done. No, absolute faith in what he can do and absolute submission to whatever he determines to do. So here we have four men. They have a friend in an impossible situation. He's paralyzed, paralytic. He can't work. He can't walk. Pretty much being cared for by them and who knows who else. But they do the only thing that they absolutely can and should do, and that's bring their friend to Jesus. As is often the case, obstacles abound. The house where he's teaching is just packed out. 
He'd been in Capernaum. He'd done some wonderful things there. He'd gone on a short tour of the synagogues and the surrounding cities. Then he returns back to his base of operation. And as he's in the house teaching, the crowds are so great, you can't even get near the door. Fortunately, in those days, most, if not all, of the homes had flat roofs. And they would have an outdoor access to the roof, so you wouldn't have to go in the house to get up on the roof. And they decide, let's take our buddy up there. That will give us access to uh, Jesus. And, and that's exactly what we read in verse 4. When they couldn't come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. We have to put ourselves in the situation just for a moment. Jesus is teaching. The crowds are surrounding. Everyone's pressing in. And all of a sudden, a little dust starts floating down from above. And then more dust and more dust. And then who knows what was dropping? Because the way they built in those days, well, they didn't use plywood and shingles and all the things, you know, Tyvek and the things we have. No, what they would do is, is they would take some tar and they would take some sand and they would take some soil and they would, they would just put all these things together. They'd put some branches going across this way and then some going across that way and they put the soil all in between. And, and then, well, it wasn't uncommon to be, you know, walking down the street and seeing a goat on the roof. Why? Because grass would grow on those roofs because of the soil that was there. So, so that kind of roof, you could actually take it apart without really damaging it. You could put it back together. And, and, and that's no doubt what happens. It never mentions that the roof got put back together, but I'm pretty sure these guys would have taken care of that business. So anyway, they find the obstacle we can't get near, but we can go up. And then they go up. You can see again the dust settling. All of a sudden, a little crack of light up above. I don't know if you've noticed, we ask people to minimize distractions. I'm not saying that because any of you are being distracted. But, uh, but, but we, we say, if you go out for any reason, once I've started teaching, please sit in the back upon your return. Here's why. If someone gets up right here, every head somehow is like, whoa. You know, you don't do it on purpose. You just all do it. I try not to look over there as if, you know, somehow that will help. It usually doesn't. Few people in the back didn't know, but then they're like, it's almost like something started. Then really, it's just somebody needs to go. When you got to go, you got to go. So anyway, the point I'm making is there's no way people could just focus on Jesus when the roof's literally being torn apart above them. And then we read in verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. This is why we don't want to predetermine what God might do or what God should do. They no doubt brought him for healing because no one but Jesus could heal him. But he looks at him and he does the unexpected. He says to him, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, before we deal with that issue, because it's the core issue of the passage, note that it says Jesus saw their faith. Jesus could see before everyone else put it together that these guys were operating in real faith toward him. The others could see the results of their faith. 
They could see that faith works. And James tells us that, well, as the body without the spirit is dead, giving us a, a biblical definition of physical death, so faith without works is dead, giving us a biblical definition of what biblical faith is all about. It's a faith that works. And so Jesus can see the heart. Jesus knows the motivation. We'll see that in a moment in another context. Jesus knows what's going on inside of men. We really don't. And we really can't. That's why we're not to judge one another. We can judge actions. We can, we can say, hey, that activity, no Christian should be engaging in it. We can say that language Hey, no Christian should be speaking like that. And we should do that in love for one another. It's not to one another, it's for one another. And so in the midst of all of that, he looks on the hearts of these men. He knows they have faith in him. He looks at the paralyzed man and said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Well, no more wonderful words can be uttered. If you've given your life to the Lord, the same is true for you. Your sins have been, are not, are now, excuse me, and will always be forgiven. When we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now listen, the consequence, the wages of sin is death. Death is separation. Again, the spirit from the body, physical death. Faith without works, well, it's just, it's just an idea. It's just a concept. So there are a couple age-abiding lessons here and, and we're gonna deal with them. I do wanna say this idea of forgiveness is essential. And it's throughout the scriptures, 43 times the word forgiven appears, 40, um, 53 times the word forgive appears, and six times the word forgiveness appears. Four of these forgiven four times in Mark, forgive six times in Mark, forgiveness one time in Mark. So it's a major theme. We're going to see a couple others and introduce them because they'll come up again and again and again. Well, as he looks at this man and oh such great need and deals with the greater need. Why is forgiveness the greater need? Because healing is temporal. Forgiveness is eternal. It's spiritual. It's everlasting. Well, as he forgives, some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Listen, they were oh so close. This is absolutely true, by the way. Only God can forgive sins. Now, before you think, well, wait a minute, wait, aren't we supposed to forgive one another and forgive those who sin against us? Yes. That's us forgiving sinners. We can do that. We could do it. We should do it. We must do it. So if I sin against you and I come and I say, forgive me, then, well, you're charged to forgive. But you're only forgiving a sinner that the sin remains and is retained. 
for, for sin to be really dealt with, we need to recognize that all sin is against God. That's why when David prays after his, his murder of Bathsheba's husband and his adultery with her, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. He's not saying he wasn't, you know, guilty of the things he was guilty of. He's saying, Lord, I know that ultimately this is between you and me. Only God can atone for sin. Only God can forgive our sin. Only God can cleanse our sin. Only God can forgive. And that's what we see is happening here. Well, they call this, by the way, blasphemy. That's a serious charge. That word appears 13 times in Scripture, two in Mark. Blasphemies, five times, two in Mark. Blasphemy is a deadly sin. And by deadly sin, I'm not suggesting there's any sin that isn't serious enough that Jesus had to go to the cross for it. No, he died for what we would consider the least of our sins. But when I say serious sin, it's a sin that was punishable by death. The book of Leviticus, their law, 24, 16 says the penalty for cursing or blaspheming God was death by stoning. If you stole something and stealing is a crime and a sin, you had to make restitution. You had to pay them back and you had to pay them back fourfold. If you lied and got caught, well, there was a penalty for that. But the penalty for cursing God or blaspheming God was death by stoning. And by the way, this is the first time they're thinking or accusing him of such a thing. And note, they're reasoning in their hearts. They haven't said it out loud yet at his trial before the religious leaders prior to his political trials before Pilate, Herod, and Pilate again, the charge spiritually, religiously, according to the law, will be blasphemy. So, so they're already tipping their hand. They're already revealing. This is the plan. This is the goal, is to get him and have him put to death. Well, in any case, there's an age-abiding, life-transforming lesson, something they knew to be true, only God can forgive sins. So again, when we sin against one another, we come and say, forgive me. And then there should be forgiveness and restoration, if necessary, restitution. But we still need to go to God and ask him to forgive us and cleanse us and set us right. If we confess our sin, he's faithful, we're told, and just to forgive us and cleanse us for all sin. Well, I can't cleanse you of your sin. And there's a principle, and that is that, that the, the age-abiding lesson, the principle here is that the one who forgives has to pay. And, and this actually explains the cross in a way a lot of people, they're like, I still can't put it together how somebody dying on a cross makes atonement for my sin or provides forgiveness for my sin. Well, here's a simple illustration. I can't think of a simpler one. If you have a great debt and you go to the one you have that debt to and you say, forgive me the debt. 
Say it's $10,000. Say it's $100,000. Although it's impossible for most of us to get into that kind of debt because no one would trust us with that kind of credit. But say you have $100,000 debt and you're making, you know, minimum wage and you realize, you know, I'm never going to be able to pay this debt. So you go to the one who you owe and you say, please forgive me this. I can never make it up. I, I'll, I'll do anything you want, but there's just no way for me to pay this debt. If they forgive you the debt, what did it cost you? A little bit of humility, a, a little bit of coming and acknowledging. Man, I got myself in over my head. What does it cost them? A hundred thousand dollars. Because here's the principle. The one who forgives has to pay. And so the one who forgives in that case would be paying by absorbing the debt, by losing the $100,000. Jesus went to the cross because we had a debt we couldn't pay. He died for our sins, was buried and rose again because that was the only way for him to forgive us. When it says he's faithful and just, faithful means we can trust him to do it. We can count on him. When it says he's just, it means it's right for him to do. So the age-abiding principle is simply this. There's a cost of forgiveness, and the one who forgives must pay the cost. Well, just as that leper said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He was, he is, he'll always be willing to forgive and cleanse. We don't know what else, but he will always be willing to do those things. Well, Jesus, verse 8, immediately perceiving in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. Well, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? They hadn't said it out loud, but he looked at him and said, why are you thinking those things? Why are you struggling with this? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you or say, arise, take up your bed and walk. It's a no brainer. Some think that when you're a Christian, you check your brain at the door and then you study the Bible. And, but, but listen, those are the ones to whom this should actually be simple. They're qualified. And, and, uh, and, and so here's the simplicity of this question. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take your bed and walk. Clearly, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can tell if anything actually happened. Except perhaps the guy who was just forgiven. There is a, a, a release, a, a relief, that weight of guilt and shame and, and, and all that, that sin does in us messes with us mentally and, and emotionally and physically and spiritually and relationally. All of that lift, lifted when we confess and he forgives. But anyway, they didn't say it, but Jesus knew it. And so he says, why are you thinking like this? Why are you reasoning these things? And in the midst of saying, well, that you may know, verse 10, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. He tells this paralytic to do the impossible and he does it. 
How does that work? Faith comes by hearing, we're told, and hearing by the word of God. With the command to do the impossible, Jesus provides the ability to do so. So all he had to do was believe it. And it all began to come to pass. When it says that they were all amazed and they all glorified God, we're told we're to let our light so shine before men that they'd see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That's exactly what's happening here. Understand, no one in that room understands at this point or has acknowledged at this point that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The only time we've heard that is from the mouth of demons created by him and for him, former angels, now fallen angels. They recognized him and they acknowledged him and he'd be like, as we saw, be muzzled, shut up, just stop saying that. Not because it wasn't true, because he didn't need them for his press team. But as Jesus moves on, he adds to his team of disciples. And we're going to find him engaging another group of sinners in need of forgiveness. In every little snapshot, and that's how Mark's gospel is written, there's a snapshot here and then another here and another here and another here. And everyone, forgiveness is a part of the equation. He went out again, verse 13, by the sea, and all the multitude came to him and he taught them. We know that he had been, as I mentioned, touring, taking his disciples on a short tour of some of the local synagogues, city to city, town to town. Now he's back home. He's ministering there. But it's getting so crowded whenever he tries to teach, he has to move his operation outside. Wherever he is, though, the crowds are following him. And wherever they follow him, he teaches them. We see he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, he's freeing, he's forgiving, he's cleansing sinners just like us. As he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, verse 14, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Two quick things. Andrew when John the Baptist pointed him to Jesus saying, behold, the Lamb of God immediately went and got his brother Peter and says, we found him who is called the Messiah, the Christ. And later Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Same thing happened with Philip and Nathaniel. Philip finds Jesus or Jesus finds Philip, brings Nathaniel to him. Levi, unlike them, he doesn't bring a brother or bring a friend. He has a party and he invites everyone he knows. How do we know? Because the crowd will be full of, and he'll use the, the phrase three times, tax collectors and sinners. If you'd never read the Bible, you might conclude there were two different kinds of people. There's the tax collectors and then there's the sinners. Actually, tax collectors are set apart because they're on a higher tier of sinner. But uh, nevertheless, we'll see that in a moment. But uh, there, there's two things I wanted to share. Oh, and I shared one. So here's the other one. Andrew, Peter, James and John, all fishermen. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they followed him. I mentioned back then they left all to follow him. That's true, but not in the same way that it's true for Levi. Why? Because they could always go back to fishing. And after the crucifixion and even after the resurrection, 
uh, you know, they have a little fishing excursion. Perhaps they did that from time to time, but we know they were still capable of fishing. Once Levi walks away from the tax tables, that door is closed forever. Matthew walked away from his old life. In the text we studied today, that life is described as Matthew's career, a tax collector. But there are so many parts of our life we walk away from when we choose to follow Jesus. And it's not really difficult to learn and know what parts of our old life we are to do away with. Frankly, we can look at some of the things the Lord would have us part with and think it will be impossible. If you feel that way about anything that you need to walk away from, I would have you think about Romans 6, 5 through 7, where it says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. We have been freed by the cross, and the impossible is reality. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.